please stand and remain standing as Arthur Fisher comes to the podium to give our invocation and pledge. Thank you, Brass. Um, can we all please bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, we give you respect and acknowledge you as our creator and provider. We honor, praise, and give you glory for abundant love of all mankind. We are gathered in this place today as members and guests of the Rotary International family. The world is indeed a better place because you've handcrafted this organization for a special purpose. We thank you all for your blessings. And it is you who said, in all things give thanks for this is the will of God. Today, we also thank you, Lord, for those who have been strong advocates for Rotaract's vision, a vision that focuses on developing young leaders to be actively engaged in building a better community, region, and world. These people have given up themselves and seemed fortitude to others. We also want to thank you this afternoon for the food that has been set before us, while also blessing the hands that prepared it. Let that food be used to nourish and strengthen our bodies and our minds for your service. And as this luncheon adjourns, Father, please grant us traveling grace to our respective destinations, whether it be traveling right down the street or even to a state that possesses one of the greatest college football teams ever assembled in the 2020 National Champions, better known as the LSU Tigers. Sorry, Father, I had to throw that one in there. In these blessings, we ask in your name, amen. Uh, please join me in the pledge. Our pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Roll Tide, just saying. Uh, I'd now like to ask Yvonne Taunton, our Vice President of Membership Recruitment, to the lower podium to welcome our guests. Good afternoon. Um, welcome to our guests. And as I call your name, please stand and remain standing as we introduce you. Jamal Jackson. Hall Macy. Robert Humphrey. Walker Gain, Tate Thomas, Margaret Pope, and J.C. Fisher. Welcome. Thank you, Yvonne, <clears throat> and welcome to all of our guests. <clears throat> Excuse me. And welcome again to all of you here at the Harbert Center and to those of you who are joining us virtually. During our first hybrid luncheon of the year, we heard from Mashonda Taylor and the amazing work that's being done at the Woodlawn Foundation. We had a great mix of folks that attended both in person and virtually on Facebook. Even after the luncheon ended, we had an additional 350 views on Facebook, making our first luncheon of the year one of the most watched in club history. So thanks to all of you for your engagement and for making it possible. Today, we are happy to continue to provide a hybrid approach to luncheons for both our members and their guests. Instead of Facebook, however, this week we are broadcasting live via Zoom, I've got a little webcam right here, uh, for our members. This meeting will be recorded and available to view at a later date. As we did last luncheon, today we are taking attendance virtually 
So please don't forget to take out your phones if you're in person or if you're joining us on Zoom and mark your participation to this luncheon by responding to the poll that's in the club channel. <clears throat> Let's see. Thank you. There we go. Even amidst economic uncertainty and a global pandemic, fostering servant leadership continues to be at the core of our organization's objectives. Today, I want to highlight the almost 50 chairs who have stepped up to leadership roles for this term and who will be impacting each of your membership experience. To be a chair of Rotaract is to say yes to embodying service above self in order to make our volunteer-run organization a success. If you have been selected as a chair this year, I ask that you stand and be recognized. Please join me in congratulating the chairs that are here today and those listed in the organizational chart behind me who couldn't be here in person. We appreciate each of you applying and congratulate you for your acceptance as part of the leadership team of the world's largest and best Rotaract Club. We are looking forward to a great year ahead. If you are interested in supporting the efforts of the chairs and board of directors during this historic year, our committee survey is open and accepting signups. If you have any questions about a specific committee, please reach out to any of our board of directors. And speaking of even more leadership opportunities, at this time, I would like to welcome to the lower podium Jessica Poor, our Vice President of Mem Membership Development. Jessica was a co-chair for the Leadership Development Program and will be giving a brief overview of the program and the application timeline. Yeah, hey guys, I'm Jessica Poor. If you have not had a chance to meet me um, this year, I have the fortunate position of VP of Membership Development, which means I get to oversee a lot of really great programs um, that our club has to offer, one of those being a Leadership Development Program. Um, this is near and dear to my heart. I went through the program in 2018, and then last year, uh, Sarah Brackman and I got to serve as co-chairs for the program, um, which was a great experience. Um, so there are really four key components to the leadership development program. The first is our speaker series we have uh, throughout the fall and throughout the spring. Um, we do we work with Olivia Childers at Blankenship and Sea to provide a personality assessment for each of the LDP members. Um, we have a professional partners pairing program uh, where we pair with mentors to downtown Rotary, uh, to mentors within the program. <clears throat> um, and then last but not least, uh, the LDP program or the LDP program associates uh, create a, a project in the spring, and this is based on the current board's challenge that they're seeing within the club. And so a little bit more about that. Um, this past year, our board sat back and said, you know, we're having a hard time getting people to come to service events. We've got all these great events, and we're not having a ton of engagement. How can we change that? Um, and so last year's LDP class spent a lot of time um, hosting uh, they threw, they had surveys out to everybody and they hosted some engagement sessions just to hear from our members and see what they really wanted to see changed within service for the year. And so um, I think Nick will talk a little bit more about this later, but uh, really we're going to be changing the way we structure our service projects throughout the year by pairing with uh, different nonprofits in the Birmingham area. Um, and this all came from last year's LDP program and their findings uh, within the group. So. Uh, I did get a couple of questions this week about LDP. Our classes size range from 10 to 15 members, and we do that to try and keep it small so that you guys really get more engagement with the speakers that we have come in and some of the projects that we do. Um, and applications are going to be open on August 6th, and they will run for two weeks through August 21st. Um, those will be online. So this year, 
Amy Thomas and Cayman Cavan will be uh, over the LDP program. They will be co-chairs. So feel free to reach out to them or myself if you have any questions. And I hope you guys will think about applying. Thank you, Jess. Um, I cannot speak highly enough of our LDP program. Uh, eight of our current board members are graduates of this program and would be happy to answer any questions that you might have about it. Uh, so please reach out if uh, you have any questions. And as Jessica mentioned, last year's LDP class reimagined the role of club service in our organization and introduced monthly service partners, service ambassadors, and recurring opportunities for members to commit to and serve with a nonprofit in Birmingham. To tell us more about this and introduce our July service partner, I would like to welcome Nick White, our Vice President of Service, to the lower podium. Thank you, Brass. Uh, as Jessica and Brass just said, we've uh, worked really hard in the LDP program last year to kind of come up with a new vision for club service. Um, all of the members of the LDP program contributed to this project and I'm fortunate to be the one that is trying to bring it into reality um, on the board this year. Uh, some of our primary goals, as Jessica mentioned, is to increase member engagement by offering events that excite our members and giving them an opportunity to partner with organizations throughout the Birmingham community on an ongoing basis. And a core part of that is our service ambassador programs. Our service ambassadors this year are uh, Brandon Cummings, Lauren Snyder, and Ross Kennedy. Um, our first service partner is the Southern Environmental Center, and its leader, uh, Ro sorry, Roald Hazelhoff, um, was very kind to bring us out to the North Birmingham Ecoscape last weekend, and we did a great, uh, great first session cleaning up and beautifying that uh, space in the uh, North Birmingham area, and we're going out again next weekend to finish the job. Uh, without any further ado, I'll... Uh, turn the podium over to uh, Rola and he can tell you more about the organization. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. <clears throat> and thank you to Rotaract for, for giving me a free lunch. Never, never wanted to say no to, so I uh, appreciate that. Um, I'm gonna talk just a few minutes about Ecoscapes. It's, it's a bigger project than, than just North Birmingham. Over time, we have developed 15 of these um, transformations of vacant lots around Birmingham from vacant lots into um, parks, outdoor classrooms, um, ranging from the BSE Ecoscape <coughs> at Birmingham Southern to uh, Turkey Creek Nature Preserve, for those of you who've been out there. So um, the reason why we do this, <coughs> and part of the tie-in with, with our program here, is that Alabama is just, and, and you can hear from my accent that you don't need to worry about me saying roll Tide, or what was that other school um, that my daughter goes to, Auburn? Um, <clears throat> because the only game I'm really interested in is soccer. I mean, that's really the, the only sport that, that truly matters. But coming to Alabama, um, you, I was not prepared for what this state offers in terms of biodiversity. And uh, one of the reasons I wasn't prepared, I had no idea that, that so much water flowed through this state. We basically drain. Uh, not only our own state, but parts of Georgia, parts of Mississippi, parts of Tennessee. And <clears throat> as a result, um, we have this incredible opportunity to showcase water, whether it's high-end projects like <clears throat> over here at uh, Railroad Park, or low-end projects uh, like the ones that we are working with 
um, at North Birmingham where we basically look at opportunities to capture water. The rain that we've had, uh, you know, increasingly studies show that in the next uh, 50, 60 years, we're going to see about a 70% increase in Alabama in, with extreme weather. So that means more flooding, more droughts, more uh, climate change, more forest fires, the whole nine yards. And so when you do that, you, you have to think about how to use land, and that's what our ecoscapes do. We, we actually serve as bioswales for that. Um, so you take a fairly, you know, we have over 12,000 vacant lots in, in Birmingham and, you, you know, they, they cost the city a lot of money because they mostly are, um, they have a problem with absentee uh, owners and so the city has to mow it and spends over $3 million a year doing that. Next. Um, so why not look at ways to make these lots more productive? So very quickly, I'll just show you what we did with some of them. This was, this was our first one in Woodlawn. Next. <clears throat> this is one um, in the Powderly area. Um, Birmingham used to be a city that Native Americans from all over the southeast would come to because of our springs some of the cleanest water in America, um, much of it due to the fact that, that we have so much limestone which filters it. Now they're forgotten. Most of them have been covered over. Um, but this is one that we brought back in the sense that we put a park around it to protect the little fish that's found there, watercress darter. Next. Um, so we made a park for the fish. Worked with a local church. Um, and. Uh, no messing around. This is a, this is a, you know, it belongs to the watercress darter and, and it's there to protect it. Next. Um, this is one that we did uh, as part of a wellness program with Princeton Hospital. We actually built um, three gardens over there. Next. Um, <clears throat> this is the one where uh, Nick and, and some hardworking volunteers uh, came out last weekend and we are we, looking forward to working on again. Uh, in North Birmingham, next. Um, this is one from the Princeton area again, Healing Garden over by Princeton Towers, that's a retirement community. And uh, one of the sad things, especially with COVID, is when you see that these retirement communities have become prisons where we separate uh, and we keep them distinct from the rest of the population. Uh, in Europe, for a long time, in, in Switzerland, Germany, uh, Sweden, places like that, the Netherlands, where I'm from, We've looked at gardens as being a very important part of retirement communities, um, and it helps. It's just a wellness tool. Next. Uh, this is one, <clears throat> it's kind of fun, right opposite Birmingham Southern College. Um, in my rummaging through the, the maintenance uh, department, I found some old fences from Birmingham Southern, some old gates. And I'm not sure the college knows it, but they're now in um, part of this ecoscape over there. Um, being put to good use, and it's just opposite the college. Next. Lots of sculptures. Uh, we work with, lo with local artists to, to kind of create the sensory component to it. Next. Uh, this is the first legal herb garden in um, College Hills. You got that, right? Yeah. All right, good. Um, <clears throat> so we grow a lot of the same things that you'll find at College at, at uh, North Birmingham Ecoscape kind of stuff that you need for pizza, uh, you know, oregano, uh, rosemary, those kinds of things, so that we can create a pizza garden. Next. Here's a good example. I'm still learning how to speak Southern, so 
I think the locals call this place Tarrant. Tarrant, yeah. David, maybe you have a better one. Yeah, it's close. Um, and uh, there we had, uh, we were asked to put a park in, in an area that's, that's floodplain. There should never have been businesses there, but it happened to be a dry cleaner, which was even more disastrous. And so when they finally took it out, it was just a vacant parking lot, and we transformed it into a rain garden. Next. So you kind of get an idea of what that looks like. Next. Um, Brown Springs, we brought an old spring back. This is just below Ruffner. In fact, you can walk from Brown Springs to Ruffner uh, trail system. And here we made uh, one of my favorite gardens. Next. An ecoscape um, that um, is right opposite a church, and they sometimes have outdoor services over there. Next. Birmingham Southern. Um, <clears throat> you know, in the Netherlands, there's a place that as a kid, you, you, every kid goes to it. <clears throat> it's outside The Hague, uh, and it's called Madurodam. And Madurodam is a miniature Netherlands where you can walk through like a, like a giant and look down on <clears throat> cathedrals, look down on canals with, with barges in Amsterdam. And uh, it's, it's an amazing experience. Uh, this, this. And when I looked at Birmingham Southern, when I first started over there, I thought, you know, it, it, in some ways, Birmingham Southern is like a microcosm of a larger community because 80% of our students live on campus and we have recreational and residential and <clears throat> work uh, uh, facilities all in close proximity to each other. So as an environmentalist, if I want to, to talk about how to make Birmingham healthier, uh, uh, more sustainable, then Birmingham Southern is a great place to start showcasing it. So here we looked at some green projects, uh, one of which is a bioswale system to capture stormwater runoff. We are part of Village Creek and Valley Creek watershed. So this lake is an example of, it's just stormwater runoff, it's just rain. And most places when you see that, you see, you know, like next to a Walmart or something, you'll see a place with, with a big fence around it and don't want anyone close to it. We decided to make this actually part of our campus green. So it's attractive. It has a nice um, area for concerts. We do jazz in the park. We, there's an occasional problem because this is the old fraternity row. So once in a while, beer cans still bubble up to the top of the lake. But other than that, <coughs> it's a, a, a wonderful transformation of what was a, a pretty decrepit part of campus at one time. So. You know, we can go on. I mean, this is kind of focused just on the water component and how we should store water and, and treat it, et cetera. And so um, you, you take out normal pipes because we tend to want to just move water as quickly from one area to another, and you create bias whales. And so that's an example. You slow it down. This is next to the tennis courts. They've now named it in, in uh, Lake Mosquito in my, in my honor. Um, but it, it does pretty well. BSC Ecoscape, this is where um, I spend a lot of my time. This used to be <coughs> a parking lot for a naval reserve and then a National Guard unit. And now it looks like this. Next. Um, we have flooding on campus. And so when you, when you have flooding issues like that, why not address it in this fashion? So this is how we, this is a rain garden that we've built there where you saw the flooding to treat the runoff. It's a process of phytoremediation and it also looks very attractive. So that's kind of the kinds of things that we do. 
The largest and the last project that, that I'll just mention is Turkey Creek. Turkey Creek used to be a dumping ground for, for folks who didn't want to pay a $10 tipping fee to take their garbage to the landfill. So when I first took my children over there, there was tires, roof shingles. I mean, it was just awful. One of the most beautiful places in, in Alabama. So uh, we cleaned it up. Uh, these are my students. They were very fearful of taking classes from me because they'd always have to do cleanups and plant trees and stuff. But we did it and we cleaned it up. So this is a small ecoscape at Turkey Creek, right by the falls. And we now have brought back a lot of the natives, uh, landscape-wise. And um, it's transformed. For anybody who hasn't been, go. It's one of the most beautiful places in Jefferson County. And it's fed by 16 or more uh, springs. And so it's some of the cleanest and, and coldest water uh, that you'll find in Jefferson County. So that's a little bit about our ecoscapes. Uh, thank you for that. I'll be happy to, to answer any questions afterwards. Um, but uh, I'm delighted with this partnership with, with Rotorac. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Roald, and thank you again for allowing our club members to uh, learn a little bit about the Southern Environmental Center and all the great work that you're doing. It's really quite phenomenal. Um, if you are interested in getting connected with the SEC for ongoing volunteer opportunities, please join us this Saturday for a taste of what their service uh, is like. And I was uh, there last Saturday, and we made some uh, headway in that, e in that ecoscape. So it was pretty fun, and it was awesome to see the uh, impact of our work immediately. Um, so join us this Saturday or contact Nick White for more information. As a reminder, <clears throat> each week the Rotary Club of Birmingham provides 10 comped luncheon spots to our club. Due to the pandemic, we have unprecedented access to join their luncheons virtually to hear from the amazing lineup of speakers led by President John Blankenship and his board. Just yesterday we heard from Johnny Sharp Jr., the special agent in charge of the Birmingham Division of the FBI. And we also heard from Dr. Mike Sag of the Infectious Disease Department at UAB, who gives a monthly status update on the ongoing COVID-19 situation. This week, he focused on the efficacy of mask wearing. I was pleased to see all of you wearing a mask as you came in. As leaders of the community, he urged Rotarians and Rotaractors alike to be an example of leadership by always wearing a mask when you're out in public. Um, and obviously, the Rotaract Club of Birmingham absolutely agrees. Next week, Rotary will hear from John P. Strom, president of Rounder Records on July 29th. Uh, and after that, will be Julian Maha of Culture City on August 5th. If you're interested in joining, Rotary luncheons are held at 12 p.m. every Wednesday. And you can contact Berkeley Bryan with questions or tune in virtually via the Zoom link that is posted weekly in Slack. And now for our Learn, Socialize, Serve announcements. Your next opportunity to learn is at our first professional development event on July 29th. We will be meeting from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Rhodes Park for a sunset yoga meditation. And believe me when I tell you that learning meditation and relaxation techniques is a huge aspect of self-care for your professional development. Unfortunately, this event is already full, but please register online to join the waiting list and we'll let you know if a spot opens up. If you have any questions, please contact Claire Ubersax. Our next luncheon is, this th is Thursday, August 6th and we'll feature Josh Sneed and Robert Clay with SEC Shorts, and will be another hybrid luncheon with an in-person option, curbside pickup, and a Zoom link to tune in virtually. Please contact Yvonne Taunton if you plan to bring a guest. 
A note too about registration, as a reminder, we are not providing buffet luncheons at this time, and because of this, it is mandatory to pre-register for any in-person luncheons. You can do so by going to our website so that the programs team and the Harbert Center can have an accurate headcount. After that, we will be meeting only via Zoom on August 20th to hear from Andy Grace, who is the host of the White Lies podcast. We'll be offering delicious curbside lunches, and um, you guys can pick those up in advance, so please be sure to register. We had a great time at Monday night's in-person mini-social at the Safe Room Lounge Bar. Our next social will be held on August 13th as a virtual trivia event. Be sure to grab your cocktails or mocktails and impress your friends with your knowledge of history, geography, Alabama, or Auburn football. Sorry, I don't think we're talking about LSU right now, Arthur. Uh, and also Rotaract. And don't forget to invite your quarantine buddies, your spouse, roommates, and pets. The more, the merrier. Also coming up in August, we are excited to announce our first ever drive-in social. We will be supporting Sidewalk Film Festival by participating in their drive-in film screenings late in August. So stay tuned for more details on that and contact Kirk Key with any questions about our upcoming socials. We just heard from our inaugural service partner for the month, Southern Environmental Center. Thanks again to Rold for coming to speak to us today. There is one more opportunity for you to come join us Saturday, July 25th, so be sure to snag one of those spots that we have left. Uh, as a reminder, spots for our events are very limited due to social distancing. Um, this is a great opportunity. I've learned that we get to, a chance to meet each other and really connect with one another at these tiny events, but that also means uh, if you plan on coming, register in advance, and if you can't make it, please let one of the board members know so that we can give your spot to somebody on the waiting list. On August 1st, we will be meeting for our Woodlawn Cleanup with the July new members. We'll meet uh, near the Woodlawn Cycle Cafe at 9 a.m. and uh, come meet our new members and contact Nick White with any questions. And finally, our club service partner for the month of August will be United Way Hands-On. Stay tuned for the updates that are coming from our service ambassadors and Nick White's team. At this time, I'd like to introduce our head table. We have a smaller group at the head table this year to adhere to best practices for social distancing. As I call your name, please stand and remain standing until we introduce the entire head table. Each week, we ask a fun, different question to the head table related to the speaker to learn more about our fellow members. This week, we asked, what has been your favorite new addition to Birmingham in the last year? Giving our invocation and pledge today is Arthur Fisher, who is an engineer with Southern Company. Arthur is the 2020-2021 member, member analytics chair. He is a member of the February 2020 new member class. When asked about his favorite new addition to Birmingham, I think Arthur's answer wins for being the sweetest. Arthur said, my favorite addition to Birmingham in the last year has been my wife, JC Fisher. We recently got married in November of 2019. Prior to her moving to Birmingham, she practiced law in St. Louis as an attorney. To have her here with me, especially during this pandemic, has been the gift, best gift that I could have asked for. So good. Introducing our speaker today is Merrick Bonner, who is the Director of Investment Relations at Rev Birmingham. Merrick was the chair for the Board Fellows Program last year. Merrick said her favorite addition is the pay-by-app parking downtown. Uh, because she never has quarters, which I don't either, so I feel that. And also, Jenny is at Pepper Place for delicious ice cream. Both good choices. And with that, please give our head table a round of applause as Merrick comes to the podium to introduce our, head, our speaker. Hi, everyone. 
I am so excited to introduce David Fleming, who is president and CEO of Rev Birmingham. A native of Birmingham, David graduated from Vestavia Hills High School, then went on to receive a bachelor's in history at Samford. His professional career has included stints working with Congressman Spencer Baucus in DC and with Sloss Real Estate Group, where he played a pivotal role in starting the first Pepper Place Farmers Market and then several years working with Operation New Birmingham, an organization focused on Birmingham City Center. David received a master's in public-private management from Birmingham Southern, where he studied Main Street organizations in other cities and recommended the creation of a similar organization in Birmingham. Then in 2004, David became the founding executive director of Main Street Birmingham, which focused on revitalization of nine different commercial districts in Birmingham. After working with both Main Street and Operation New Birmingham, David recommended combining the organizations, and in 2012, under his leadership, Main Street Birmingham and Operation New Birmingham became Rev Birmingham. David is currently on the board of directors for the Advent Episcopal School and the Jefferson County Historical Association, and he was recently named as one of Birmingham's most influential executives in the Birmingham Business Journal's Power 60. David is passionate about historic pe preservation and the city of Birmingham, which you could probably tell from the number of times I've said Birmingham in this intro. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming David Fleming. Thank you, Merrick, and I thank you for having me uh, today to talk to you a little bit about Red Birmingham, what we're doing, what we're about, what we're passionate about, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very, very honored to, to be uh, speaking with you, either, you know, present. I'm just glad to see some people, honestly. You know, I mean, we've been so remote and having so many remote meetings that it's good to see some people in person. Uh, and so, also want to thank you for what you're doing um, in the North Birmingham Ecoscape. Uh, that's actually a piece of property that we own. We acquired it as Main Street Birmingham some years ago. We went to Rold and said, hey, do your magic. Uh, with this piece of property, and he has taken care of it ever since, and so we're very, very grateful for you, because uh, maintenance and ongoing taking care of things, is, it's one thing to put it in, but you got to keep it up and so that it is still an asset for the community, and so I appreciate y'all working with him on that. Um, and, and by the way, Roll, I've always called it Tarrant. That's how I pronounce it, but you know, it's Birmingham native, but you know, so you got a little work to do on that, but, uh, but then again, I'm a Bessemer native. I, you know, and, and as I go into my program here, I will say I was called out as a Vestavia Hills High School graduate, and I am, uh, but I'm a Bessemer native. And uh, Bessemer, Alabama, the, an old industrial suburb on the west side, uh, is, is where I really grew up. But uh, I had this different kind of experience uh, growing up in Birmingham because my father was a school teacher at Vestavia in the system. And if you're a kid of a teacher or someone who worked in the system, you can, even though it's not your jurisdiction where you live, you can go to that school. So. I grew up living in the old industrial suburb on the west side, uh, but going to school in an affluent suburb uh, of Estavia Hills. And I, looking back on it, I realized now how much that influenced me and gave me an education I didn't know I was getting. Uh, because uh, as you may know, Birmingham, we can be a very sort of siloed community. You can you know, have your own little neighborhood, your own little town, suburb, or whatever, and, and see the world from that context. But you know, what I was getting was seeing the city sort of from different contexts. And I think that developed a real love in me of Birmingham and a real interest in its future and its potential and its past and its history. Um, and it has influenced, I think, why I do what I do today because I 
I do believe that we, we are a, a greater community uh, when we can kind of see ourselves together as one, one big community and not a lot of little different communities together. But that, that said, uh, I work on uh, what I work on, and I'm going to describe that today uh, in the next few minutes that I have. Um, and I'm going to start this presentation, which is really a summation of what REV's strategic plan is for the next three years. The, the things that we've decided we need to work on, what Birmingham needs us to work on. Um, and uh, I will say that you know when we started this process and really completed it in January, it was pre-COVID, um, uh, pre-civic uh, unrest and the conversation around race. So we re-examined it really based on all of those things and said, you know, this is still all very relevant work with some tweaks and some differences and things that we need to do. But really a lot of this stuff is really needed now more than ever that we're gonna uh, try to address as an organization. Um, I want to start off, though, by talking about, uh, with a quote from someone. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Jane Jacobs, if anyone knows who that person is. Jane was an activist in the 1960s in New York around urban planning. Uh, she is the reason why we still have a Greenwich Village, a Little Italy, a Soho uh, in, in Manhattan, because the idea at the time was to raise all of that and put a highway through. And she and her group of activists rose up and stopped that, said, no, that's, this is not what cities are about. And uh, she wrote a book that became very influential in urban planning called The Death and Life of Great American Cities. It really changed the way people think about urban planning from the big project, highway project kind of thing to more of a place-focused, people-focused of preservation and other focused things. And she said this, she said, cities have the capability of providing something for everybody only because, and only when they are created by everybody. And the great thing about that quote is that it is, uh, it has a high view of cities and communities, which think about it in the 1960s, uh, people were leaving cities and going to suburbs and there was a very negative view of cities, uh, but she had a very different view of how cities can function to ele elevate humanity uh, and not be uh, something that is uh, a negative. Uh, and it has, they have that capacity to provide something for everybody, but there is an intentionality in this as well, that it, they have to be thought about. You have to be intentional about the city you get. You have to work for it, and it has to be an inclusive process. Um, and that is uh, a quote that sort of embodies uh, and influences our work at Rev Birmingham. We're a nonprofit who says that as far as a vision for our city, that it's the most vibrant urban market in the southeast where everyone can realize their dreams. And for many years, we've had this as kind of a, a vision for the city uh, that we created, but what do we do about that? It takes more than just us to, to do that and create it. Um, and that's our mission. Our mission is focused on vibrant commercial districts, creating vibrant commercial districts in the city of Birmingham. Um, and we have focused on several over the years as Main Street, as Operation New Birmingham, and together as REV. Uh, but we're going to talk about the, the, the really the, the two main ones that we, we see ourselves focusing on going forward. We talk a lot about vibrancy, and the word vibrant is defined the way we define it as where diverse people and authentic places meet. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can build a beautiful space, you can have a great ecoscape, or you can have a railroad park, but you can't, it's not vibrant if people aren't going there. Uh, at times to enjoy it and, and be a part. But at the same time, uh, w people need a good, well-designed, well-thought-through, inviting, well-maintained you know, place. And these places that are places where people can thrive. And so we, we have um, work around both of those things, both of those kinds of, of aspects of it. And they tend to fall our work into these three buckets, supporting business, <coughs> business owners, 
because especially small business is very vital to vibrancy uh, and the future of our city. So we do a lot of work around that. We also create great experiences. And these are great experiences that are intended to not just be nice events or, or, or you know, you know, parties or something like that, but they're things that are driving market potential or revealing market potential. Uh, and then strengthening places, that's a real physical piece of it. Working on, you know, revitalization of buildings, streetscapes, other things that really define that physical place. So for the next three years, what do we believe our city needs Rev to be doing? First of all, in the category of business creation, uh, we are focused on creating jobs and building individual and family wealth, but we especially want to do that in the arena of businesses that are really helping to uh, sell, uh, create an authentic, authentic experience in Birmingham and in these places, places that um, uh, are really need those, um, that individual touch, that personal, uh, personal touch. And, you know, we, are, we have a variety of programs where we help people start with an idea, kind of lead them to, is that an idea have potential, uh, work with them as entrepreneurs. We also can help people with finding uh, different resources available to help their businesses grow. Uh, and in particular, right now, we have done a few things like partnered with other agencies around a relief fund for some businesses. Um, the Rebound Birmingham Collaborative, I'll speak a little bit more about it in a little bit. Uh, but we're also being very intentional right now about how we can help create more market opportunity and things that can, incentives that can kind of drive people to businesses, because right now, businesses need a lot of customers uh, to come to them. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But Rebound Birmingham is a result of a collaborative uh, that has come as we've all as an ecosystem of uh, nonprofits that support small business and entrepreneurship uh, to come together and say, you know, we, our, our city needs us to really be working together and not individually. And so Rebound Birmingham is launching really today. Uh, uh, later this afternoon, there's sort of a, a launch party, a virtual cocktail party. If you'd like to join in that, you can, you know, kind of go online and get some tickets to join that. Uh, and, but <clears throat> it is 15 different organizations collaborating on our content uh, over the next several months to really help businesses know everything they need to know about pivoting, surviving, trying to um, uh, we know what the resources are during this time when the market is is really stressed out uh, because of COVID. So um, that rebound, Birmingham, you can find more information there at, at this website. One thing we actually are doing that we are inviting, we'll invite you to be a part of is the Great Receipt Race. And this is essentially an incentive for you to go out and spend money in local businesses. And we would, uh, if you can, uh, we'll have a way that you can cap we can capture your receipt if you have if you buy something we can record your receipt and people can collect those and as as time goes if you collect enough there's sort of some prizes and incentives that you can get for doing that all about trying to help people support uh, these local businesses a different kind of business though that we do support is the real estate developer and because place is obviously really defined by people developing real estate um, we believe that development should connect with community, honor historical context, and create great places. And so we are a resource for that end. And uh, everything from market data and site identification, connections, financial uh, incentive consulting, uh, and community engagement. I mean, all of those things we try to help. If we can help someone who wants to do the kind of development outline there, uh, we want to support you and uh, be a part of that and even find more of you to do that. So we, we do a lot of work with developers. And then the policy side of this is also really important. We want to make sure the city and our state has um, the kind of toolbox that helps that kind of reality happen. Incentives that increase the viability of a project 
and specifically, especially now, about opportunities to be inclusive in that kind of development so that we can grow lots of others in, uh, in their uh, potential. So that toolbox is a very uh, policy-oriented thing that we're interested in, and um, we've, uh, we've got things on our radar like the state historic tax credit, which needs to be renewed, new markets tax credits and opportunity zones, and the local tax increment financing. All those things are important, and we're trying to influence all those. And then finally, now, particularly in the realm and time of social distancing, you know, we've got to do uh, help create policies, and we have been engaged in the city helping to create policies that allow businesses to thrive more through things like the open streets concept, with the, which was the Parkside Trail earlier this year, which allowed streets to be recaptured for other uses and not just cars, but really important to the restaurants are uh, making it more space available for people to be able to eat outside and expand their capacity, because most restaurateurs have told us that we will struggle. Is it even worth being open? if we can only have 50% capacity, which really means 30% capacity in reality, and we've got to have more spaces for them to grow. And so we, we're seeing a lot of progress with the city on that. But now specifically the places, that I told you there were two places we're focusing, and we focus on place uh, because uh, it's when we can define what we call our three Ps. Uh, is a place uh, that is historic, uh, kind of a historic commercial district? Are there people there that can work with us and we can work with them on vision and on possibilities? Uh, and then is there a payer, you know, the resources basically to, to support the work? And so for the, we're focused primarily on two places and one is downtown. First of all, downtown is the core commercial district that is the heart and soul of the region. Uh, we define it that way, and you have defined it that way through various surveys and public engagements. People really do believe that the downtown is the heart and soul of the region. Well, when we ended 2020, we were, I mean, excuse me, began 2020, we were in pretty good shape. Um, we had, you know, strong office inventory with positive absorption at the end of 2019. Uh, a lot of existing residential units with many more in the pipeline. Um, hotel rooms uh, were, were, were strong. Uh, a great decade of two and a half billion dollars of investment, strong job base. Well, then along comes COVID, and and you know we all the things that we thought we could build off of. Everyone in the world is rethinking, and so uh, we want to make sure that even if we can't move these numbers forward over the next three years, we're not going backwards. And so that's sort of the challenge right now, uh, given what we what we may know. And it's important that the city center is strong, because without a strong city center, without a strong downtown, the whole city is weak. Uh, it really relies on the strength of the city center uh, to um, to be strong. So these are the words that, that were the values that came out of a city center master planning process. It really ended at the end of 2019. And um, all of you and others who may have participated in that or, or given your thoughts kind of boiled up into these words that, that if we were going to embody the city center, what kind of city center do we want? These are the words that would embody that. And this map really shows you kind of boils down a lot of the initiatives that actually believe we believe should be undertaken in order to achieve that. Uh, it's really focusing on those red strategic opportunity areas of the city center um, and um, other public improvements and, and, and the streets themselves. Um, so what of this for us is, is Rev able to take on and where are we going to show uh, some leadership? Well, if you were to fast forward three years I would hope that these are the things that we have been able to achieve, that downtown is, you'd say it's an authentic place where jobs and businesses grow. There are great civic spaces and streetscapes, preserved historic buildings and mixed-use developments, and a diverse in, mixed income 
neighborhood or set of neighborhoods in the city center. How are we going to do that or how do we propose to do that? Well, one of the, the key um, focus areas that we will uh, focus on is the city center core, the 20th Street corridor, basically. This is the, the heart of the downtown. If the city center is the heart of the region, this is the heart of the heart. This is the, the part of the downtown that defines the skyline. And there are needs here. Uh, there are great building stock and a lot of employment, uh, but there are things that need done. 20th Street is the grand spine of downtown, but it hasn't been very grand for a little while now. It's a little tired. Uh, and if you've been on it, you've seen it, 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 it needs a refresh uh, desperately. If it looks like this and has looked like this for quite some time, uh, it could and should look more like this and feel more like this. And, um, you know, it really should be one of those great urban streets. It has the potential to be that. It has the stock, the, the physical characteristics, and the great investment that the civic community did in the 70s to build it out the way it is now is great, but it, it needs a refresh. And I don't believe this is a $30 million project. I believe this is a lot to do with better landscaping choices, better landscaping design. Um, uh, modernize that, but also thinking more about multimodalism. How can we get more multimodalism into the street um, and, um, uh, and lighting and things like that that really is a, are a lot more about maintenance and management than they are like big capital investment. And so we are working with the city right now on thinking through some of those reinvestments that could be made and there are a lot of landscape architects that have volunteered some time to give us some ideas and concepts that we're trying to uh, get into a cohesive idea of how we could sort of refresh 20th Street uh, affordably but also sustainably. But if that's the spine of downtown, then there are several ribs that attach to the spine like 2nd Avenue North and 3rd Avenue North and then Lynn Park up at the head of it. And, and those places, while they have great potential, don't look and feel like they should. We would like them to look and feel more like this. Um, places where there, it is a walkable downtown where there are interesting things, uh, interesting stores and businesses to walk through. You know, what could they be? Uh, what, what, and then spaces like, you know, alleys or other sort of forgotten or throwaway or just utilitarian spaces could be rethought with art and other landscape design uh, to really make it an interesting downtown to walk through. Uh, and support you know, the authenticity of the city through the local businesses that we can you know, uh, recruit and retain. Jeff Speck, a noted uh, city planner, an expert on walkability, said, you know, people are going to walk somewhere. If they have somewhere to walk to, uh, they feel safe doing it, and it's interesting along the way. And that's the kind of experience that we want to make and create in the city center and in this part of downtown. This chart kind of gives you a sense, though, of what happened earlier this year. You know, if this shows you the total visits based on Placer AI uh, data that Alabama Power provided to us. You know, you had almost, you know, call it between four and 500,000 people visiting the city center, um, you know, every week. Uh, and then COVID hit and we were, you know, down to around 111,000 at, at its lowest point. And so when you're talking about trying to support business, and, you, and, and unfortunately we've already seen closures that have been announced in this time of, of many places that we've, we've loved and, and we've had for a long time, and they're very stressed. And this is the reason. This chart helps to demonstrate, you know, that. And you add to that the, the, the presence of 85,000 employees that used to be downtown on any given day, and it's down to now um, around 20,000 on any given day. It, it, you get a sense of why this is a stress and an emergency. Um, 
So we have released a sort of a white paper on this. You can find it at our website if you want more data and information about it. But uh, we're anticipating a lot of these things um, happening because of the economic stress from, from, from COVID. Um, and our recommendations are that, you know, the community's got to really lead on this, that we've got to do some stimulus things to try to just help some people survive in the way that they can. More um, great policies around this um, to, that we you know, need to advocate for in terms of economic development. But a lot of it is instilling consumer confidence. Consumers have got to know we can go to these businesses, we can support them, we can get out, and uh, we'll be safe. A lot of collaboration needed. And then improving that perception of downtown is clean and safe. And so these are some things that I know we're very focused on. Lynn Park is uh, another refresh opportunity and one that we're working very hard to lead on. And um, this was this came even more to the forefront uh, after May 31st and the civil unrest related to the George Floyd uh, tragedy. Um, when the Confederate monument was removed, it, we were already before that thinking we've got to organize the city and talk about how we can refresh this because the last time it was really refreshed was the 1980s and um, it's time. Um, but now everybody's really focused on this as a refresh. And so this is another project uh, ongoing over the next year that will emerge as um, a priority. Uh, if, if 20th Street's refreshed, this is refreshed and you get City Walk up uh, around the BJCC, then the, you, know, you can't have this Lynn Park not you know, being um, a part of that. We're gonna be very proactive with certain sites. We are identifying up to five sites in the downtown that we say this site is something negative right now like a parking lot, but it needs to be something more positive like this mixed use development or, um, and uh, try to actually work proactively, not just reactively on projects, but drive uh, catalytic projects forward. So our team is good at visualizing those things and coming up with plans around them. And we're gonna be very proactive on those sites. Downtown transportation is critical uh, and parking is critical. I, um, we have seen a little progress as Merrick pointed out with her favorite new thing about downtown is the, the, the Park Mobile app. We've still got a lot of reform to do around that because it's gonna be, it's the kind of thing that holds back economic development. And then wayfinding um, is a, a plan that we're already uh, at work on to help give more visual interest uh, and help lead people around downtown and help them feel comfortable. Another focus area downtown for us is the old innovation district we now call the Switch. It's been rebranded and we are working um, on the new leadership at Innovation Depot and others in the ecosystem around how that really becomes more than just a building and Innovation Depot, but a real innovation district and, and um, uh, uh, playing that, uh, fulfilling that out. Uh, it is collaborative and we have a great opportunity. We're working with the Civil Rights District in tandem on a whole growth plan for the downtown Northwest Corridor, that whole quadrant, um, because they really should grow together. Uh, the Civil Rights District and the Innovation District, I mean, it's a baseball throw, you know, from one to the other. And so we've got great connectivity and all of that can uh, and will grow together. And we're uh, real pleased to be a part of that collaboration. Fundamentally though, if downtown is not clean and safe or per perceived to be that, um, uh, then you can't do anything else. And so we manage the business improvement district. You've probably seen the CAP team around downtown. We took over management of that a couple of years ago. And we brought a lot of rebranding and improvements and technology to help that effort. 
but there's a lot of downtown that is actually not in the bid. That, uh, we, so we are working on our vision over the next three years is to expand the business improvement district, which is like a homeowners association for, for property owners. Everybody pays into it, and yet then you get the service of the bid plus some other things. And this map shows some of the areas we hope to expand. The red line is the current business improvement district, but so much downtown growth and vibrancy is beginning to happen outside of that. We need to expand that. That's just good public policy, and it just gives us a good tool for helping to manage the experience. And then finally, the last place that we're working heavily in is Woodlawn, and we have a vision for that commercial district to be a hub for equitable entrepreneurship. Um, and we're doing that by working with community volunteers like Alicia Levels-Moore. She is working with us as a stipended community volunteer to find uh, and grow businesses from within the community. Um, those people that may have great ideas um, that we need to kind of develop into somebody that maybe eventually can become a, a storefront or brick and mortar business. So she is engaging with us on the, in the community there. Or, and Jason Avery, another volunteer who's working with those businesses that are already there, the legacy businesses that um, uh, need to at times you know, rethink and refresh themselves a little bit and of course on the whole sort of idea of the brand of Woodlawn and, and selling it because it's very important to promote uh, the community and the vision that you want and Jason is working intently on that. And then Becca Fox, who's the one, just, just the eyeballs there, I mean she, she we asked for a picture and she gets, sent us that so we don't, don't have her fully, but, but that's so Becca if you know her. You know, to, uh, and she has for years helped manage and curate this Woodlawn street market which has been a defining event, a wonderful event for uh, providing entrepreneurial opportunity as well as community bonding in Woodlawn. It feels so Woodlawn, it's great. And uh, of course we can't have that physically right now, but there is a virtual version of that. You can go virtually to the Woodlawn Street Market. We've got 20 vendors set up there. Please go and support them uh, in the uh, Woodlawn Street Market. And finally, we are a catalytic developer. We own several real estate pieces in um, Woodlawn, and we just acquired another one uh, earlier this year, and we're redeveloping and rethinking all that. You know, the Woodlawn uh, Cycle Cafe, as it was mentioned earlier, you know, your meeting spot, uh, that is a spot, that is a, bu a building we own. Um, uh, but as you may have heard that they are actually going to close because of uh, COVID, they've decided to throw it in uh, as well. And that's happening all over our city and just highlights the stress of this time on those kinds of businesses. So, but we are actively engaged in redeveloping a lot of the, that property and uh, making it uh, consistent with Woodlawn being a hub for equitable entrepreneurship. So I'm really ending up here with this Birmingham Needs You um, hashtag because this is the campaign we're really starting to push out now and what we're really trying to say to folks is yeah Birmingham needs you we need to not be uh, afraid to support each other we didn't we need to be out there supporting businesses really thinking about how we can be strategic with who we're supporting um, so that we can keep around the things that we have treasured about Birmingham that we've seen grow over the last decade in particular and uh, so what are things that you can do you can go to the Woodlawn virtual street market and support a vendor you can uh, participate in the great receipt race. Um, you can also just be positive. I mean, this is a time when people need, we need some positivity and, and um, really talk about the things about Birmingham we love and we really want to uh, want to promote and, and keep going. But just support, support local in particular. Um, support people uh, as best you can. Um, so with that, that is a summation of Rev's agenda for the next 
three years, uh, those priority things um, and, and people that we're working with, uh, we think those are things that will really help our city uh, strength, be strong so that as recovery comes, um, we are in the best position to capitalize on whatever uh, the future is going to be. And uh, because we believe in vibrancy, that is where diverse people and authentic places meet. Uh, and that's the, you know, the best thing we can do, do for Birmingham. So I'll pause. I think I got a couple of minutes uh, for any questions. If anybody's got a question or two. Yes, sir. You're asking what's the most important thing once we're past COVID for revitalizing businesses, and honestly, it's going to be people. I mean, it's 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 people returning to work actually in these places. It's it's people being willing to come out and support you know the marketplace. Um, uh, you know the because a lot of these you know vibrancy, as I've said, it won't happen without people, and so we will need people to be able to return to these places and support businesses, but. Um, uh, just be present with each other and, and add to that vibrancy. So we're going to need businesses, you know, employers, major employers to think about, you know, as soon as we can get people back into these offices, we need them, we need to be getting them back in there. Uh, we need to be thinking about, um, uh, you know, ways that, you know, we can uh, create more activities, especially outside in the city center or in these districts that draw people safely to them uh, to build the market. So I, I think it's it's going to come down to, to that. Um, all these business closures and things that are happening are because there's no people. Go ahead. Yeah, we could. I could do just a presentation on that if I needed to. Um, uh, homelessness. First of all, you know, homelessness is expressed in a lot of things. There's, there's there's panhandling and transient behavior and the homelessness and all that gets called homelessness, but it's not. I mean, the, a lot of the panhandling instances we always are intentional to separate from homelessness. Um, but a lot of the homeless who um, and, and we're seeing this across the country. My colleagues and everybody we talk about this across the country. Uh, a lot of the ways that homeless folks traditionally had as a way to survive dried up very quickly because the lack of people they couldn't get you know they couldn't do the get the kind of immediate support on the street that they maybe used to get or a lot of the homeless shelters had to immediately adjust uh, even being open for them you know I mean they couldn't get into some of the places there. so um, we are seeing um, across the country trends are an increase somewhat in homelessness especially as the economy uh, gets harder on folks. Um, uh, in Birmingham right now, we don't see our numbers going up yet, uh, but they could go up. But I, what, what, what small businesses are telling us and a lot of people that are moving around the city are telling us that the, the panhandling is increasing. And so there are a lot more people on the street um, uh, trying to um, you know, panhandle. And again, not all of those people are homeless. Um, in fact, very few of them are. Uh, in our experience with homeless people, a lot of the homeless people don't like the panhandlers because it makes them look bad, you know, and so they, um, they don't like uh, that. So I think that's sort of, um, you know, where it is. I think we haven't seen the end of what may happen in terms of increase in homelessness uh, in the country and maybe here locally um, as the economy um, sort of teeters a little bit and people may fall out of, of having a home. But um, <clears throat> I think the, um, 
um, you know, we're going to need to get creative as we are with everything as how we serve those least in need right now and um, uh, allow people to, to, to have resources available to them. Is that it? I think that's all the time we okay. have. But thank you so much, sure. David, for coming. Thank you again for joining us today, David. We appreciate all the hard work that you all are doing at REV. Um, it is tradition that for every speaker we have at a luncheon, our club makes a contribution to our second signature service project, Ready to Succeed, in your honor. We would like to present you with this certificate marking that donation and also present you with a copy of our annual report. A few final reminders are on the screen, so please take a look at that, and don't forget to sign up for our committee survey. Uh, that is available on, in our newsletter or uh, on Slack. So with that, we are adjourned. Thank you all. <laughs>